Hey, how are you? I've been gone for a month. I've been gone for a month. How many of you say that church was better in my absence? All right, how many of you think that church was worse in my absence? How many of you did not realize I was gone for a month? Yeah, that's about, that's about uh, what, I, what I figured. So yeah, I've been traveling, uh, my family, and the whole family, me, Sonia, the kids, uh, my grandmother. Uh, we all went to the UK and to um, Northern uh, yeah, Irish Island, but only in the north, uh, and did uh, some ministry. It was, uh, it was such a cool ministry trip, and we saw uh, you know, the power of the Lord manifest uh, so many different miracles. It was so fun uh, for me just to be a part of it. Um, and, uh, and I found myself reflecting, you know, like, well, gosh, you know, it's, it's so much easier when I'm away and free and cleared, when I'm not in my normal life but doing something different. It's, it's really so much easier for me to experience the extraordinary. Uh, and so I'm kind of, you know, trying to reflect on that as I restart my normal life back here in, in Honolulu, my normal weird life. Um, but but it's, it's often like that. Do you, do you find that to be true, that the normal often crowds, crowds out the extraordinary in life? Do you find that to be true? Yes, the front row finds that to be true, desperately so. Um, well, that's kind of what I want to talk about today, the relationship between normal life and extraordinary things, kingdom things. We've been doing this sermon series. I assume you've been doing it while I'm gone. I'm not really sure. Uh, about how kingdom life should be amazingly fruitful, but how some things tend to get in the way. Um, and... Uh, you know, the amazing fruitfulness is characterized by a whole bunch of gospel stories. Uh, Jesus says in John 4 that we have living water gushing out of us, so we should be bringing life wherever we go. Uh, he tells this parable uh, of the sower and the seeds. He says that really kingdom life that we are supposed to all manifest should produce a crop 30, 60, you know, even 100-fold, he says, in places that the fruitfulness of your life uh, should, should explode in a hundredfold sort of way. We should all be explosively fruitful, multiplying the blessing that God gives us. If God has given you new life, that should translate into a hundred new lives. And, and Jesus says that that's just normal in, in the kingdom of God. He says in, in Mark chapter 16 that those who follow after him uh, will preach the kingdom and then manifest the kingdom, manifest the king's dominion. Uh, we should all heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cause blind eyes to see, and of course baptize people from all nations. The impression one gets from, from the Gospels is that that's normal kingdom living. And indeed, I feel like I have seen all of it, but not enough. I mean, I've seen loads of miracles, but somehow not nearly enough. I've seen people come to faith uh, as a result of my life with Jesus, but, you know, not hundreds of times over, no. It's just not enough. And say that if you agree with me. It's not enough. Uh, we, we want to see more. And we've been talking about some things that can get in the way and constrict the flow of kingdom fruitfulness in our life. We've talked about how sometimes we get uh, offended by God 
in various ways. And that takes us out of the game. We've talked about how we are fearful of certain things. We worry too much. That takes us out of the game. But I bet if I did a survey and I said, well, what gets in the way of fantastic, explosively fruitful kingdom ministry in your life, most of you would say, well, well, life gets in the way. You know, normal life gets in the way. Really. Amen? Does that make sense? Um, it seems like that. It's just normal living, the chores of life. We talk about these four distinctives at, at Blue Water Mission. Uh, we talk about them a lot because we feel like they help us stay on track. They help us live a kingdom life. They help us live an otherworldly life in a very worldly world. Uh, radical grace is one of those things that help us stay on track, that we should be totally accepting. Uh, we should really live uh, in rooted in God's uh, ridiculous generosity. Uh, we talk about anti-materialism and how we really need to embrace the virtue of anti-materialism. Jesus talked about money at least as much as he talked about anything else in the Gospels. Uh, he said that you can't serve two masters, you can't serve both God and money. He boiled the opposition of worldly struggle in this life down to God versus money. And that's not because money is the most important thing in the kingdom of God. It's because money is the most important thing in the world. And if we want to be otherworldly, we have to have a very strange relationship with money. We have to be radically generous people ourselves. Uh, we talk about supernaturalism because that's clearly one of the distinctives of the kingdom of God as Jesus lived it out and worked in it. Uh, we should be seeing God do supernatural things. We should be doing supernatural things in the power of God. We always try to make space for that in uh, our times together and in our groups. We'll be doing a little bit at the end of the service as well. And then mission orientation. Life is ministry. And we remind ourselves of that all the time. Uh, you can do any number of things in heaven, but what you cannot do in heaven is, is bring people to Christ. <laughs> You can't bring people to faith. You can't do any evangelism there because it's been done. Uh, so let's major on that now uh, because that is what this life is uniquely for. Life is for ministry, and we need to be ministry-focused. But doggone it, you know, you can embrace those virtues, but, but still the chores must be done. You could be all about supernaturalism and, and, and radical... Uh, anti-materialistic living and all about mission orientation, but, you know, the house needs to be clean and the kids need to be taken care of, and you do have that job that takes at least 40 hours a week for Pete's sake. You have the bills that must be paid, and it's all well and good to talk about being anti-materialistic, but sometimes it's just hard enough to earn enough money to pay your bills. Uh, plus, we need to fit in our normal church obligations, like coming to church on Sunday and maybe attending a small group. And my goodness, what if on top of that you want to get involved in a specific ministry and life gets clouded, crowded by just the normal, just the routine of things, right? And how, in the course of all that, are we going to affect hundreds of lives? Um, how do we become explosively fruitful? There is much, much to be said for exercising faith and willfulness and leveraging this weird community that you're a part of um, in order to make your life abnormal. I really think you should have abnormal lives. The way that you live should be very, very different than the way other people live. Right? Amen? You think this is fun? You should try to get British people to shout out amen. 
I tried to teach them how to chihu. That was hilarious. I got a few Anglicans to do it, though. It was interesting. So come on. I'm home. Yes. You should be abnormal. You should be weird people, for, for goodness sake. But really, when it comes to kingdom fruitfulness, the trick isn't so much making an abnormal life as it is making ministry in your normal life. In the context of your daily living, you have to do ministry. Following me? Um, you need to be explosively fruitful at your job because most of us are going to work jobs. You have to be fruitful in your classrooms at school uh, because if you're going to school, that's, that's what you're doing right now. You need to be fruitful in your family. You need to be fruitful in your neighborhood because most of you live somewhere. And that is the place that the Lord has given you uh, to be fruitful. We have to figure out how to be kingdom people under normal circumstances. I think that is a huge key. So how do you do that? Um, partly, this is one of those things that is actually fairly intuitive to me. There are not many of these things in, in the kingdom living, but it's one of these things that I, I find that I do fairly naturally uh, when I got going. Uh, I, I was reviewing this again to make sure, but I have never had a regular job for any length of time and not had someone from that job start going to church with me. I've always found it fairly easy to be light uh, wherever I happen to be stationed. And sometimes it's a regular job, or sometimes I spent a long time in academia, in which case, you know, that, that was my field. And, and so people <clears throat> from my academic program uh, would, you know, come to faith or come, come back to the Lord uh, somehow. Never in droves, right? I never, I never, like, had a revival in the company where I was working. But just, like, one at a time, you know, I, I feel like I've been blessed that way. One at a time, I was bringing people to church or bringing people back to the Lord in, in some fashion just, just by being myself, my inimitable self. Um, which means just talking about my life with God. Um, I don't talk about much, but I do like to talk about that. Uh, finding out about their lives and somehow bringing God into the situation. That's always felt okay for me. And the results have always, you know, manifested. Not enough, but always a little bit enough so that I know it can happen. Um, the problem is I have rarely had a regular job. I've just lived a very strange life in, in that way. There is so much about my life now that is unusual and different from how normal people live that it's challenging for me to find normal interactions with people. If you want to have a normal, an abnormal interaction with people, tell them that you are a minister. That changes social dynamics almost instantly. So I'm learning how to use that. Uh, but honestly, I, I, I feel a little bit frustrated. It's like, well, I got to i got to find places that are just sort of normal because I feel like that's, 
That's, how, that's where fruitfulness uh, lay for me often time. Admittedly, only one person at a time uh, have I ever brought to faith uh, doing that. But if everyone here brought one person to faith this year, we would make a tremendous impact in our community. And if we sustain that rate for a few years, uh, we'd have a condition that we would have to call revival. If everybody who came to faith brought one person to faith and so on, it wouldn't take long. We just all have to be normally fruitful or fruitful in normal life. That's the ticket. And if I were to define revival, I've said this earlier in the series, I think revival is not when one person sees thousands of conversions, <clears throat> thousands of life changes. Revival is, is uh, the condition in which a thousand people start seeing some fruitfulness. And we can do that, right? Yeah. Are you with me? My, uh, my picture of revival, my picture of, of kingdom fruitfulness personally is best characterized by all of those Bible stories of what I call normal life breakthroughs. I just love those stories and scriptures where you have like normal life going on and then, and then, and then the kingdom breaks through and something cool happens. Do you, do you know those stories that I'm talking about? These are the ones that people are just minding their own business and, and God butts in somehow. There's that story of, uh, of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch on, on, the, on, the, <clears throat> on the road. Uh, God basically directs Philip to go take a walk down the street. And this Ethiopian official comes by in his fancy chariot. And, uh, and God says, well, go walk with that guy. And so Philip is just kind of strolling along with him. And it turns out that the eunuch had been reading from uh, the scroll of Isaiah. And uh, Philip says, hey, can I explain that better to you? And then he ends up baptizing the guy in a puddle uh, on the road. And it's just so random that I find it inspirational. It can happen while you're walking down the street if you're just open to the proddings of the Lord. I love the story in Acts chapter 16 where Paul and, and some of the guys are on a missionary journey. They go outside the city to the river uh, to see if they can... Uh, find any, any Jews in prayer. Um, that's just kind of how it worked in those days. If you didn't have a proper synagogue, you would go hang out uh, along, along the river. And he meets uh, this woman named Lydia, who was a dealer in purple cloths. In other words, she was a small business owner. And uh, he strikes up a conversation with her, and she ends up being the first convert in that area of Greece and invites him and the guys back to her house, starts a small group in her house, and that is the birth of, of the Greek church. And she was just out there doing her laundry. And Paul struck up a conversation with her, and history was changed for all of us right there. I love that. I love how that happens. Uh, I love it that Paul had a job. Paul made tents uh, where he went. That was his trade. He wasn't just a professional minister. There was actually no such thing uh, back in, in those days. It says that when he first went to Corinth, he met a couple of Jews who had recently been kicked out of Italy by the name of Aquila and Priscilla, and they were tent makers like he was. So they joined forces. They opened a little stall in, in the town square, and that was the base of Paul's ministry in Corinth. And he stayed there for years and built a church uh, that numbered in the tens of thousands just out of his workplace. I think that's pretty cool. I love that story. And then there's a great story, the iconic story from John chapter 4. The story of Jesus doing it 
with uh, a woman at a well, this chance meeting one afternoon at the town well in, uh, in Samaria. I'm going to read uh, from John 4, verses 1 through 10, which is not the whole story, but which in some ways I think is the most instructive portion of the story. This is a, a breakthrough that happened in the course of normal life. It starts like this. The Pharisees, the religious experts of the day, heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, John the Baptist we're talking about. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. I just threw that verse in there because I think it's just, it's just a good factoid to know. You know, right away in Jesus' ministry, he was dedicated into giving his ministry away to other people. It wasn't him doing all the ministry. He wasn't baptizing people. He was raising up other people to do the ministry. He was multiplying himself. Uh, He wasn't, you know, he did what he could not to be uh, the whole show. And so that's nice. They're a ministry team, in other words. Um, When the Lord uh, learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. He didn't want to become too notorious among the religious leaders of the day. Now, to do that, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, right in the middle of the day. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Jesus was worn out. His disciples said, hey, stay by the well. We'll go get some picnic fixings, uh, and and then we'll come back. And this woman shows up with something, uh, a container with which to draw water. And Jesus says, hey, uh, can you help me out and give me a drink with that? Strikes up a little conversation with her. Um, The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That's putting it mildly. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans were of ethnic stock, but during the exile, uh, they had basically sold out their countrymen. They had intermarried with the surrounding pagan tribes, and they had this strange uh, sort of syncretist religion that was sort of Judaistic, sort of not. And Jews looked down on them as half-breeds and religious apostates. They, they They had... sold out, basically, and, and the Jews despised them for that, would not associate with them, normally would not even walk through Samaria. Uh, that Jesus is even walking through this dirty land tells you about his generous attitude. Anyway, the woman is sort of shocked that this Jewish man would talk to her because she's a t- Samaritan and also because men did not talk to women in public. That was considered very, uh, very taboo, sort of an affront. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Okay, end of passage. The story goes on, and you probably know the rest of the story. Uh, He ends up declaring himself the Messiah to this woman. 
which is the first time in Scripture he ever admits that he's the Messiah to anyone. And it is this <clears throat> disreputable Samaritan woman. It turns out she's a very loose woman. Uh, she's gone through five husbands already. She's shacked up with some guy who's not her husband. She's a woman of ill repute. That's why she has to go out and get water in the middle of the day instead of going in the morning with the reputable woman. She is a social outcast, and Jesus probably had that figured out from the get-go. Um, she... Uh, accepts him as Messiah, goes back to her village, and ends up converting her entire village. She is the first, essentially the first missionary uh, in, in, in Scripture, depending on how you read it. The first successful missionary. Uh, anyway, so an astounding story. Here's just a few things I want to point out uh, in the spirit of breakthroughs in normal living. Um, what does Jesus do here that is so wonderful. And everything he does that is wonderful is rather normal, at least up to this point uh, in the story. Uh, first of all, there's no crowds here. This is just a one-on-one -on -one conversation. This is Jesus not in big-time ministry mode, right? This is not a healing service. This is not him preaching out of a boat to hundreds of people. This is not him leading a, a meeting of thousands of people uh, in the wilderness where he needs to multiply food. This is just, this is just him hanging out in a shady spot uh, waiting for some water and some food. Totally normal uh, setting. Uh, Jesus uh, encounters this woman. He's tired. He's hungry. He's thirsty. But he perceives that she is in need in her life. She, he doesn't have to be very clever to do that. But he finds a way to insinuate ministry into the situation. He brings up living water. He brings up a strange topic. And then the chase is on. Because when somebody says something like, well, I have living water that would cure your thirst forever. You're going to ask a question. You're going to have a, a conversation. Uh, and with some clever conversation and some boldness, he ends up ministering, uh, offering testimony, sharing faith with her in a way that proves very effective. What does he do here that is so cool? Um, number one, he was inappropriate. I think that's just such a big deal a willingness to be inappropriate, to do what social rules teach you not to do. It's simple, right? You just have to be a little bit inappropriate. And in the context of normal life, the thing that makes normal life work for you is a willingness to be a little bit abnormal. That's it. So he does that, no problem. A number two, Jesus made conversation. They didn't just fall into conversation. You can tell that Jesus is is deciding to have a conversation with this woman, and he just comes up with an interesting way to do it. Ah, there's water here. We're going to talk about thirst. I'm going to talk about living water. Boom. You're talking about something interesting instead of something empty. He was inappropriate, and he made a conversation. He decided to construct it from nothing. Um, so take note, introverts. Sometimes you have to do that. And then obviously Jesus had a target. He had a goal in this conversation. He decided to make this ministry. Um, I have loads of stories of riding on airplanes. You know, you're trapped in a seat next to someone for like six hours at a time, eight hours. I take ridiculously long flights sometimes. And uh, I will do one of two things when I'm in that situation. Either I will decide to make this a ministry time because someone is trapped next to me for all this time. I could do anything I want. Where are they going to go? You know? Or I 
pray to God the person would not strike up a conversation with me so I don't have to do any ministry. So I'm tired. One of two things. Um, but, you know, I share some of those stories. Of when you have somebody there, you can make a conversation uh, that, that counts. You can do some ministry almost always. It might be successful. It might be unfruitful. But you can always do it. So here in closing is some stuff, some tips, or some tips about how to make ministry in normal life. Uh, number one, you have to have faith. And faith is spelled T-R-Y. That's an old blue water axiom, so I'd expect you to know it by now. Uh, on a practical level, most of the time, faith is worked out by trying something. You're not going to be filled with faith to the degree that you feel like whatever you do is guaranteed to be successful and fruitful. I mean, once in a while, I don't know, the hand of the Lord may come upon you and just make you feel that, you know, a miracle is going to ma manifest for sure. You know it beyond knowing. But most of the time, faith is about trying something. You're just going to have to try that. You're, you're going to have to decide that you're going to try things in life, that you're going to try things in the course of your day. There's nothing fancy about that, right? I'm going to try to strike up a conversation uh, with someone who needs a significant conversation. I'm going to try to heal someone in Starbucks. I'm going to try to be kind to three people today whom I don't know. Whatever. But you're going to have to decide to try something. Uh, we have another saying of Blue Water. We're in it for the stories. Um, and I uh, will challenge you. Please bring me some stories of trying. That's all you got to do. Bring some testimonies of trying. You might succeed. You might fail. But if you try, you will have a story to tell. So bring me some stories. Um, it is a terrible thing to live life in such a way that you have no interesting stories to share at all. We give trophies at our leadership banquet uh, every year at Blue Water. Uh, one of the trophies, maybe the most competitive, is most spectacular whiff of the year. Biggest failure. We love failures. They're fun. After the fact. When you get to share funny stories at a leadership banquet. But they're interesting. right? They're worth talking about because they rely a life of trying things. Make uh, a New Year's resolution uh, this year to fail way more often than you did in 2014 would be my advice. Uh, I had this uh, very fruitful uh, week of ministry in Cheltenham, England. Uh, Sony and I together again saw the Lord do a whole bunch of miracles, uh, saw a lot of uh, accurate prophecies given and, and lives were changed. And then our last evening there, uh, Sonia and I were hanging out with the family. We decided to go get some Chinese takeout. And so we went to this little Chinese restaurant. And, and the guy at the counter was just very friendly, disturbingly friendly fellow. Um, and, and the food took way too long uh, to come out. So we were standing there for like 40 minutes. And so we just had a conversation with, with this guy. And uh, at a certain point, I could tell that Sony and I were both trying to, you know, share some, some faith stories, some God story. I mean, we had just seen all of this stuff at this conference where I was ministering. So try to, you know, insinuate little things about the church, which was about one block from this restaurant. You really need to go. I turned out the guy had heard about the church, knew the pastor, had catered some food uh, to the church. And, 
And Sonia uh, was the one to press the point, unsurprisingly. Um, she being the extrovert in the marriage, um, said, you know, look, you, you really should get over there. A lot of interesting things happen there. And then the guy responded by saying, well, I, I'm sure they're very nice people, but that's just not my thing. It's just something that I don't do. Just sort of shut down that part of the conversation. So that was, that was a, a failed attempt. Uh, and the juxtaposition was not lost on me. You know, we had just seen God supernaturally grow teeth. We try to get someone interested in faith in a Chinese restaurant and fail abjectly. Who knows? Maybe we planted some seeds, right? Maybe the next time he has a crisis in his life, he'll walk across the street and attend a church service or something. Uh, I'm, I'm not really sure. But it's an interesting story. I have a story about a 40-minute wasted conversation in a Chinese restaurant now, and it will make a good sermon illustration someday. Thank you. It's just, it's just trying, right? It's just a lifestyle of trying, and I suggest it uh, to you. Uh, number two tip, be inappropriate. Now, some of you are very good at this already. Uh, others of you are too cool for school. Uh, but at a certain point in every relationship, if you want it to be fruitful, you have to make it different. And that means you have to be a little bit inappropriate. At a certain point in every relationship you want to influence, you need to do something that is a little bit against the rules. Otherwise, the status quo will prevail. And the status quo is always worldly, neutral, and innocuous. You want breakthrough. And that means that you're going to have to be inappropriate. So uh, turn to the person next to you right now and just say something inappropriate. Go ahead. Just, just something inappropriate. Talk about what they have in their teeth. Suggest a new deodorant. Decide to give them an embarrassing nickname. I mean, I have a wealth of ideas because I've done them all. There. How hard was that? How, do you feel warm and fuzzy? Do you feel a little bit awkward? If you don't feel awkward, repeat the process. You just have to be willing to be a, a little bit inappropriate. Which is really about being humble instead of prideful. Let's face it. It's about being humble enough to expose yourself to awkwardness, to look a little bit ridiculous or a little bit uncool. And if you're not humble enough to do that every once in a while, if you're not humble enough to risk your reputation, your sacred reputation, the reputation that we know everybody is talking about and envying, if you're not, if you're not humble enough to do that, then, then you will never have any fruitfulness in your normal life. You know, pretty, pretty sure. Um, be inappropriate. I, uh, one of my uh, first jobs was in a television newsroom. Uh, I was an intern reporter, whatever the heck that is. Basically, that meant I was everybody's lackey. I was everybody's gopher. You know, I was doing all these interesting things. But it was a very emotionally dysfunctional team in, in this newsroom. Uh, and I was this young guy uh, who just didn't care about the news very much. Um, and so I just, you know, I made my life interesting 
by uh, just sort of getting uh, to know the people. And there was uh, one woman there, one young woman, who was probably the next youngest person in the newsroom. Uh, I think, honestly, she was probably hired because she was really pretty. You know, there's always that reporter, right? The young woman reporter is just really good looking. Uh, and and she, she was that role in, in this newsroom. And her life was a mess. Uh, and she felt, uh, and people always like to confide in me for some reason. Um, I don't, I have no idea why. Some people think I'm scary, but safe somehow. So she was confiding in me one evening after the evening newscast. It was really late and we were kicking back. Um, and, uh, and I was like, uh, you know, I knew in a couple months I was, I was gonna leave this job. Uh, so I said, well, I think your problem is that you're sexually loose. <laughs> she was going to church with me within a week. Inappropriate is what I'm saying. Inappropriate. Um, uh, I think also she left TV news, which was probably a good move uh, for her. Some, some, you just got to break the rules uh, at a certain point. Um, you need to make a decision to conquer your fear of being awkward. That's what you need to do. That's what I need to do. Uh, I promise you it can be conquered. But it is the enemy just so you know. There's no such thing as a cool world changer. Not in the kingdom of, of heaven, anyway. Um, number uh, three, uh, you need to make conversation. Make conversation. The ability to strike up a conversation or to construct a conversation that you actually want to have with someone. Uh, in the early days of my trip away, one of the reasons I like to travel, uh, I really don't like to travel very much, but one of the reasons I like it is because I get away from things and then the Lord will often speak to me about stuff once my mind sort of releases and relaxes a little bit. So uh, whether it was jet lag or the Lord waking me up in the middle of the night, the Lord woke me up one of the I woke up uh, in one of the first nights I was there, and, and I felt like I just got a download of conversation starters, of just questions that I wanted to, uh, to try to remember, uh, at least as many of them as I could. So I grabbed my iPhone, and I wrote some of them down. Here are some conversation starting questions. Uh, these will be made available online in the sermon guide, but for your consideration this morning, we'll just end with these. Questions you can drop into a conversation to take it somewhere you want it to go. Question number one, have you ever had a moment that changed everything in your life? That's a good, that's a good question. Number two, do you ever get past all that you're trying to do and instead get a sense of what you're really for in life? You ever get a sense for what you're really for in life? I've used that question. That always works. What do you think you're for in this life? Great question. I like this one. Uh, have you ever been in a group of people and realized that there was only one person who could do what was needed and you were that person? Any of you ever been in that situation? That you were the person who needed to do something to make a difference? Which sort of leads to, well, what did you do? What did you not do? Do you wish you could make a difference? What's a difference worth making? Uh, where are we? Number four. Have you ever experienced something that felt like a real miracle in your life? Hmm? Yes? Good, honey. 
the day you met me. Changed her life forever. Um, that's a great question because it sort of opens up uh, the opportunity to share about all the miracles that you've seen. Uh, and if you haven't seen any, uh, hang around and get involved. Um, where are we, five? Ever have a moment in life in which you realize this is not the way I should be going? Asking that question is way better than saying, you need to change your life. <laughs> so I'd say, ever have a moment in life in which you realize this really isn't the way you should be going? Everybody's had that moment. You've had that moment, and you can share about it. Uh, six. What's something in life that you've learned it's important not to be afraid of? It's terrible grammar in that question, but I think that's, that's probably the way I would ask it. Uh, what, what's something in life that you've learned it's important not to be afraid of? So if you're talking about beating fear, then you're going to be able to talk about faith. That's a good question. And here's a question that was suggested to us on our trip and has been enormously fruitful uh, for that church that's experiencing uh, revival in Northern Ireland. If you could have one miracle today, what would it be? If you could have one miracle from God today, what would it be? That opens people up, evidently. I've had hundreds of people come to faith through that question. Or, as Jesus said to his disciples, do not worry what you will say in that hour, for the Holy Spirit himself will give you words to say. Uh, something will come to you. But I do like to have two or three questions at the ready uh, in, in my head. Um, I think uh, as we enter this next season uh, of our life as a church, um, one of the things that we're going to have to do is simply minister in the context of normal life. We're going to have to take church into uh, wherever you happen to be. Uh, we all have bits of our life that are normal, that are regular. And the point is just to be a little bit extraordinary in those places. A little bit extraordinary at your desk at work, on the construction site, in the classroom, walking down the street, talking to your neighbors or the other people that walk dogs with you. I mean, there are all sorts of places. Be inappropriate, make a conversation, and just see where it goes. Can we do that much? What I'd like to pray for uh, is that God would give you words in that hour. I just like to pray for breakthrough in normal life. And if you are up to have a little breakthrough in your normal life, I would like to ask you to stand. But please do so knowing that you're giving God an opportunity and he will take it. I'm quite confident of this. And what you're going to do is resolve to bring in some stories. Wildly successful stories. Wonderful failure stories, but you're going to bring in some interesting stories. So if that's you, go ahead and stand, and let's just pray as a body. Asked if you feel that stirring this morning. Holy Spirit, I, um, I, I invite you uh, to put 
the words in our mouth, the try in our hearts, if necessary, the power in our hands, the vision in our eyes, so that we could make uh, normal moments and normal spaces just a little bit extraordinary, different enough that fruitfulness can happen. I do pray, Lord, for multiplication in our midst and through these individuals. I pray, Lord, that each could bring one and that they uh, would bring others and that we would all come to trust you in a saving and restorative way. We offer our normal lives to you this morning and we pray as Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come to those lives. Let the order of heaven manifest as we walk through the world. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Even now, Lord, I pray that you would give people, um, you know, worthy targets. Targets for their uh, compassion, their generosity, and their zeal. Uh, people who need some difference in their lives. Targets in the best sense of that word. Come, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.